Hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection. Today, we are talking about growth and development in what will be the first of many episodes on the topic. At the core of our work is this question of how people purposefully grow and change their behavior and their mindsets. This is a critical aspect of leadership at any level, of career progression, of personal fulfillment and well-being, And at scale, it's the heart of culture change, innovation, and progress. There are so many talented and insightful people out there creating programs and tools to support personal change and organizational change. And I really believe that having these various avenues and methods available is really important because there is no single answer or rule book for how to intentionally evolve. I think certain methods work best for certain people or groups of people and for different visions or purposes. So the right method is the one that catalyzes and supports the change that you want to see. This is an area of personal passion for me and from what I've learned so far in my studies, um, whether that's from my brilliant and experienced colleagues, from psychologists, social scientists, human experience designers, tenured executives, those passionate and influential in the personal development space, et cetera, et cetera. And from my own experience, for that matter, both in our work and in my personal work of growing and developing, there are some common principles that can guide how we think about any growth or development effort. Number one, start with purpose. What is the why behind the change? What is the motivation, the reason this matters? This context is so important, particularly to really sticking with the practice and muscle building that leads to lasting, reliable shifts in behavior and mindset. It also seems important that this be a point of personal connection. Even if this is a change being requested on the part of a manager or an organization at large, meaning that the individual being asked to change personally understands and connects with that purpose in one way or another. Number two, design the system that will support and guide the change. One of the most impactful, digestible, and therefore quite popular books on the subject of habit formation and behavior change in recent history is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Maybe you've heard of it. A quote in that book that really strikes a chord is, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. We are mercurial beings, and our motivations and energy for change can fluctuate dramatically from day to day, especially if we're wading through a sea of requests and commitments and stressors at the same time we're trying to shift our behavior. Like gravity, Even with the best intentions, we are likely to get pulled toward the behaviors, processes, beliefs, and routines that we're used to. They are comfortable, reliable, and second nature to us. Change is uncomfortable, uncertain, and requires much more conscious engagement than our pre-existing habits and behavior patterns, whether that's at an individual level or at scale. So, setting up scaffolding and guideposts to help us follow through on whatever change we've committed to is incredibly helpful in keeping us on track. Number three, commit for the long term. If you think about great athletes or musicians, most became as impressively talented as they are through practice and a long-term commitment to their development. Though now over a decade old, if you can believe it, the talent code is still a great reference for this perspective, and it's as true for organizational systems and teams as it is for individuals. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is a process of course correction and repetition, so building in regular points of recalibration and adjustment where you can check back in with your commitments and make sure whatever system or rhythm of practice you've created is causing the results you want is mission critical. Part of growth is failing fast and learning, but if you quit or stop practicing every time it doesn't go the way you wanted it to go, you'll never get anywhere. Even designing the supporting system, the number two in this list, is itself an experimental process of trial and error, and it's a long-term commitment to get to the one that's sustainable and reliable. Number four, design for accountability. Accountability is really key to commitments that turn out. 
Now, more and more research has shown that people can be quite diverse in what holds them accountable. So it's important to design for that in mind. For example, Gretchen Rubin wrote a book called The Four Tendencies, which is about how humans respond to expectations in different ways. She actually has a quiz that you can take on her website, which I'll link to below, and it's one tool that can really help better understand what works for each of us as individuals in moving us to act. I am an obliger in her terms, which means external accountability is really powerful for me. So if I want to change some behavior or develop a particular skill, telling someone else that I'm practicing that helps keep me on track. Others can be quite intrinsically motivated, and there are other factors that contribute to behavior. So if you want to know about yourself, you can go check it out. It's definitely good food for thought. Number five. Start with where you are. It's incredibly difficult to get honest with ourselves about where we currently are, what our current routines and processes and habitual behaviors might be, especially when they're causing outcomes and impact that we don't want to take responsibility for. However, if we don't get curious about this, we will not design the right method or process or start at the right leverage point. It's like having a massive blind spot, and it can compromise getting us where we want to go. Take my accountability example from before. Being an obliger that responds best to external accountability and expectations, I could make myself wrong about that, feel ashamed, feel like I should be more intrinsically motivated and productive, et cetera, et cetera. The shoulding keeps me from making any progress. Acknowledging that this is just a pattern of how I operate gives me an opportunity to design an approach that works with that natural tendency rather than against it. So getting curious about how we tend to operate, how things are working right now, and then designing from there is going to have the greatest payoff and progress in the long run rather than creating resistance to change. Number six, make it achievable but challenging. There's so much research on this now, but I've recently started to think about it in the context of stress and burnout as well. If we set goals or expectations for ourselves, especially when it comes to change that are too much of a stretch of our capacity and capability, our change efforts will lose energy very quickly and may actually do more damage in the long run. So having more frequent cycles of achievement and noticeable progress keeps us going. I think I mentioned this in the episode, but it's like people who take progress photos when they start a new gym routine. Being able to see the change is really validating, and it makes the hard effort you've been putting in that much more rewarding. You want this to happen quickly, so it re-energizes the commitment, and you do want it to be challenging enough that it's engaging. This also relates to having a narrow enough focus. If you try to change too much all at once, you're not likely to see meaningful shifts in any one of those things. It's overwhelming and it gets hard to manage. So starting smaller and building more over time is what works most reliably. Back to Atomic Habits. That's all of that list for now. Uh, there's so much more we could say about this, and that's why we're going to have more episodes on the topic. But for this one, I am joined by my colleagues Carolyn French and Krista Spence, who both have deep experience both in coaching individuals and guiding team and system-level development. They're both very passionate about this work, and they love being able to make a meaningful impact on leaders and their teams. So approaches to growth and development that really lead to the change you want to see— is very close to their heart. Our hope is that this conversation helps inspire you as a leader on your own development quest or as a leader leading the development and growth of others. The two are so deeply intertwined, and it's a really fascinating part of organizational life that we can dedicate some extra care and attention to. So without further ado, here is the latest episode of On Connection. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the pod. Today, I'm joined by some dear friends of mine. So Krista Spence, who has been on the podcast before and is a senior consultant with us at Conversant, and Carolyn French, who has not yet been on the podcast, but is a longtime family member at Conversant. Um, 
Carolyn, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? Like your, in your own words, your history with Conversant and sort of where you are now? Sure. Thanks, okay. Summer Rose. I'm excited to be on the podcast today. Um, I was the oldest living intern at Conversant about <laughs> 12 or 13 years ago when I was in, I've gone back to grad school after many years of my own practice. And um, since then, I've played many, many different roles at Conversant, everything from developing new processes for a growing practice, managing our project management team, coaching and consulting, a variety of different things. And these days I am uh, full-time coaching and just loving that. So I'm excited to be here with you and thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Carolyn. And um, the reason I asked the, these two gals to be here for this particular episode is because I know they have personal passions for growth and development. And that is what has led both of them into a lot of coaching work. Um, Krista, do you want to also just share a little bit about your history with coaching? You've had quite a, I feel like, long relationship with it as well. Yes. Um, actually, thanks, Emma Rose. I, just like Carolyn, I'm excited about being on today because of what you just said. Absolutely a um, real passion for helping others be the best they can be. I think for me, that's at the core of why I love the work that we do and I love coaching. And actually, as I reflect on it, I think in throughout my entire career, I've been involved in some way, shape or form in helping others develop. Whether it was leading a, a learning and development team or leading a coaching team or coaching others, or designing programs, or, or leading teams, and caring for the development of my team members. So um, yeah, I mean, just super passionate about um, helping others. And I think also, I'm excited because I think, um, you know, growth and development comes from within. And having done a lot of my own personal deep work, and seeing myself as an ongoing project, <laughs> <laughs> I think we as humans are ongoing projects. And so I love helping people uh, in that way. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, um, in there are so many angles into this conversation. It's crazy. Um, and of course, you know, we work a lot with leaders. So there's the growing of oneself. And then there's also the inspiring, supporting, sponsoring the growth of others. And in preparing for this conversation, both of those sides of the coin showed up. And uh, I want to start us with one thing that you both reflected on and felt pretty strongly about, which, which is sort of that middle point that, okay, yes, leaders need to be responsible for the growth and development of others, but they're own responsibility for their own growth is also a critical ingredient in that. So I'm curious what you would start with in, on that topic, just leaders committing to being, as Mickey would say, perpetually unfinished. Mm -hmm. um, I'll jump in, Krista, if that's okay. Great. Yes. I think the the thing that I see so often particularly with leaders who are taking on more accountability in the organization. They're taking on larger teams. They're taking on a bigger role. Um, is that they often feel like they're supposed to have all of the answers and they're supposed to um, tell, be able to tell people how to do it. Quote, unquote, my air quotes there. <laughs> um, the biggest surprise and actual relief comes for those leaders when they realize, when they learn that their job is to be the best them that they can be. And as our friend Robin Anselmi says, their job as a leader is to make the whole room smarter. So make their members of their team the best individuals that they can be versus handing down an answer from on high. And what I find with those leaders is that if they fully embrace themselves as an unfinished person with some probably fantastic skills, which got them to where they are in their of, in their position of leadership, absolutely. Um, but if they embrace that, that in themselves, 
then they actually model growth and development for their team members, which has everyone relax already. There's enough pressure on us in our organizational life to feel like we have to be perfect all the time. If as a, as a leader, I can show people that they actually are, the more they are themselves, the more effective they're going to be. It's just a gift and mm-hmm. makes things go so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. It was so well said, Carolyn. I think, uh, you know, what you sparked for me is, and I think this is just building on what you just said, that that leaders, once they figure out that people appreciate them sharing their own ver- vulnerabilities, it takes some pressure off. And what you just said, too, about them modeling that they what it is uh, modeling and sharing what they themselves are growing and developing enables their team members to go, oh, oh, so that's what it looks like to both to bring some humanity to this whole concept of development, uh, but to make it real and make it authentic. Uh, And so for them to show up as their authentic self with you know, really, here's what I'm working on. Uh, But then also, I think for leaders to not only show their vulnerabilities, but be comfortable in recognizing what their strengths are and owning their strengths, right? Because for me, that's, that's part of development. So while we are as humans, always sort of unfinished, uh, we're unfinished, but with some core strengths. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think, For me, as a as a leader, what in my own leadership experience, I think once I figured out that actually not only is it okay, but it inspires others for me to be real and share my own vulnerabilities is when I went, ah, sort of took the pressure off of me trying to be something I'm not. And that's just such a big part of of development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, I mean, a couple of things in what you guys just said growth is really vulnerable (laughs) and it's by definition, very imperfect. It's not linear, but we still have this conception that it should be. And I think there's a lot of, um, self-shaming that we tend to do when we're going out off on some growth journey, or especially in organizations, if we're told we have to grow in some way. And so it's sort of, it feels like it's being done to us or that there's something that we need to grow into. And that can feel really, really daunting if there isn't that mindset of compassion and a little bit of grace that it's not going to go perfectly the first time around and that's okay. And we can, you know, support each other through whatever that is. But I think the modeling from on high that that is just part of being in organizational life is so um, empowering for people rather than, you know, the people who have a leader that's trying to act perfect all the time, which nobody is. So that's all a mask, even if they seem that way. Um, And that can just add extra pressure. And I think it actually diminishes people's interest in and willingness to commit to their own growth. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge piece of it. And yeah, like leaning on your natural strengths, because a lot of strengths, people have these very innate, natural ways that they show up and contribute and um, things that they're very readily energized by and excited about. And so not everything in growth has to be super hard. It's like finding that foundation that you can stand on to then take on the next thing Um, or like finding your edge, you know, I think is such a great way of thinking about stuff, not trying to do everything all at once, but and this is a great tip for leaders, I, th- I think, too. Like, if you have somebody that you're managing and you want to support them growing, figuring out, helping them diagnose, what is my next edge for the next month, for the next three months, for the next year? And not having it be the whole ocean that you're trying to tackle at one point, but just if we focus on this little thing, can I grow into that? And what's that going to take? And how can I leverage my strengths in doing that? It really, I think, demystifies and um, gives people more confidence in taking then the next step and the next step and the next step in growing. So yeah, I I love what you just said, Emrose, the, the thing that 
comes to mind for me is that I find when working with leaders at all different levels, um, that there's a bit of a hurdle um, that, uh, that takes a little while to get over in our conversations. And the hurdle is growth and development is the, really the soft stuff. And the real business of the business is happening over here. Like we're going to, I'm going to take an hour out of my day to go talk unicorns and rainbows and self-fulfillment. And then I'm going to go back to the real work. <laughs> right. And um, what I always come back to is that, you know, what we say so much at Conversant is the conversation is the work and that your life is happening while you're sitting in your desk at work, are you going to feel more, uh, are you going to come to the end of your day and feel like it was a day worth living? Mm -hmm. It might sound a little corny, but really, truly, this is all we got, people. We've got this moment right now. And so am I stressed? Am I worried about the future that I don't know what it's going to look like? Absolutely. But how can I actually show up and be fully present to what's happening right now that will help myself and my team members do better? And mm -hmm. that's where I think the growth and development really is. Um, I will say there's a, a, a number of times with clients, I've had them say, is it really that easy? Mm -hmm. they, they'll have some sort of epiphany about, oh, if I just lean in and be more myself, it actually works better. Is it really that easy? Yeah, it actually is. Mm -hmm. Being for yourself, you're allowed to ask questions. You're allowed to not know all the answers. You're allowed to use that big brain that got you to where you are in the organization to have you be so successful. Um, and the, you know, the, the work of organizations in business can be very serious. There can be very significant consequences if things aren't done appropriately, um, targets aren't met, et cetera. Business is business is business, and there are human beings who are doing the business of the business. So I think those two can co can coexist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think something you sparked for me, and, and we were talking about this actually before, as we were getting ready for this conversation, is the fact that I think almost by design within many organizations, the concept of development is seen as a thing unto itself and separate from the everyday moments. And Carolyn, that's what you're sparking for me as I was just listening to what you were saying is that, you know, I'm reflecting on uh, as a leader, have, having led people myself, one of the mistakes I made, and I think I was sharing this with both of you before our call, one of the first mistakes I made early on as a leader was actually seeing development as something that existed in a document in the HR system. I was required to have a conversation at least twice a year about my team members' development, and I'd get that done, and I'd check the box, and then I'd go on about my work and in my one-on-ones with my team members, I'd be focusing on getting things done, uh, checking the box, what was accomplished, what needs to get done next. And then, oh, six months later comes along the, uh, you know, the requirement to sit down and have the development conversation. And I'd sit and, you know, prepare for it and then we'd have it and then we'd move on. So it was a thing over here unto itself, meaning a thing to the side. And I think you know, by design, you know, I, I um, and th this is not to diminish the value of HR systems like that. I think we do need some support to capture what needs to be developed and to document it and to have a repository that helps us with those processes. So I think those are important. But when I finally sort of flipped the script in my own mind about what development looks like, for me as a leader, that's when I think I became much more impactful. And what I mean is I began to realize that, and this is probably at a time when I was learning to go from telling to more coaching and asking questions. 
But when I began to think about development as, oh, actually, this is something that happens in the everyday moments. And actually, this, huh, as a leader, I, I started to notice that I was bringing my people into their best to helping support them to becoming their stronger, better selves by actually asking them more questions as opposed to telling them. And so in that development approach, I was much more, I think I developed much more meaningful relationships with my team members. I felt uh, I had much more joy as a leader uh, in my role in supporting them when I came from a place of curiosity and and supporting them with questions about how to solve problems as a, as opposed to telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, still completing the development document in the HR system for sure, but really still beginning to see that as an ongoing conversation. And, and actually something that I started to do later in my leadership approach uh, was to just always have a couple of questions in my back pocket that helped them reflect and then look forward. So things like, you know, you're coming out of a tough situation and you're maybe having a debrief about, a, a you know, a tough uh, project or what have you. So what went well for you it might be a core question to ask. What do you think went, went really well? Uh, where were you really challenged? And what will you do differently next time? I mean, that, that's an example of a development conversation. So it doesn't have to be this thing that we gear up for and we only do twice a year. It's when you get in. So I would really encourage leaders to think about that development happens in the everyday moments and how awesome it is that as leaders, we get to show up with some curiosity and help this other human discover what's important to them and what they believe they need as opposed to us telling them. And I'll tell you, I'd like... Ah, I was had much more fun as a leader, and I, there was some relief in that once I figured that out. But it took me a long time to get that, to that place. And maybe Carolyn, that's related to the hurdle yeah, that you were I, talking yeah, about. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I think so, Krista. I think just as you were saying that, I was reflecting on that type of what we would call connected leadership versus superior leadership, right? So superior leadership, there's absolutely a place for someone telling you what to do and what the answer is. Absolutely, there is a time and place for that. But more often than not, connected leadership is what's needed in organizational life, which is to, as I said earlier, make the whole room smarter, have you know take the take the wisdom from and the experience from those around us to actually point it and point it in the direction that the organization needs it to go to create results in that act of can i as a leader step back and actually ask a question versus have the answer the hurdle is in i would say confidence Am I confident enough in myself and in the people around me that I don't actually have to know the answer? Mm-hmm. I have confidence that we'll actually figure it all out together. We're going to be better together than we are separately. And the more the more we engage each other creatively, or even not very creatively, I mean, some days... The widgets are the widgets, and it's just not very creative, but it might be more fun to talk about the widgets, you know, with with someone else. But the more that we are connected with one another and asking questions of one another and building on each other's ideas, the more satisfying and probably the um, time and again, the work is more effective. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do think it begins with that sort of setting aside of myself and my own fear right it's a it's a purpose based way of leading versus mm-hmm. a fear based way of leading mm-hmm. if i am afraid i'm not going to look good chances are i'm not going to be my best versus if i just lean all the way in and i'm pursuing the purpose we say that we're all here to serve like we're all here to get done together chances are things are going to go much better mhm we have a, so we uh, have a sort of model for thinking about this that we call the stages of learning. Um, and it starts at arrogance, which is 
I already know that. I don't have anything to learn. Thank you very much, but no, thank you. Um, it's the, you don't really know what you don't know kind of place. Um, but you've already rejected. You don't really have anything else to learn. Um, the next stage up is insight. So one of those aha moments, like you cognitively get it. Oh my gosh. Amazing. I tell people like, if you're listening to one of these podcasts, that's about self-help or personal improvement or productivity, or even in your domain of expertise, like, oh my gosh, just connected the dots. That's so cool. Amazing. Light bulb moment. A week later, are you reliable for even remembering that you had that light bulb moment and <laughs> did it actually change your life? <laughs> Not sure. Um, another, actually one of our clients who I think is really great and I will give her credit, Devin, I don't know if you're listening to this, but Devin, this came from you and I do use it all the time. And I did tell you I was going to, and I have fallen through, followed through on that. But, um, she talked about, you know, at the end of a workshop or a learning engagement or something that there's a breakfast club moment. So <laughs> do people after having that experience, this novel time in their life, are they actually materially changed by that? Or do you just go back to business as usual? You know, does the jock and the nerd, do they actually talk in the hallways or is it just going to be the same as it always was? So there's a choice point between insight and action, action being the third step. And action means you're putting this into practice. You're behaving in a different way. Um, Kel says often, sometimes we have to act our way into a new way of being. So after you've acted for a while, the next level is reliability, which really is that difference between doing and being. And then once you're reliable, you have an opportunity to then move into sponsorship being the final stage. And sponsorship is you've developed enough, you've become reliable enough for something that you can now actually sponsor that kind of growth in others. And the reason I bring this up not, I mean, obviously it's very related to what we're talking about, but I think that that for leaders, that jump from reliability to sponsorship is so hard. And it's that trust thing. It's the letting go, especially people who have been in their jobs very competently for a long time. You know how to do things. You understand it has become something so deeply ingrained in you that it is intuitive. So you look around and you're connecting dots a lot faster. I think it's one of those points of frustration with managing others that are below you and sort of coming up in the same track. So you're thinking of, well, that's obvious. Can you not see it the way that I see it? Why don't you see it that way? Well, they haven't been doing it as long as you have, and they have a different brain and a different set of experiences, and there might actually be value in finding out how they see it compared to how you saw it. But I don't think that's our knee-jerk reaction. And then there's that whole just trusting that they might not do it the same way that I would, but if I let go and allow them to take up some space in figuring things out or contributing in a different way than I might that gives them an opportunity to grow. And then as a team, we're capable of now growing in a different direction and expanding our capacity for things. But that's really hard. <laughs> yeah, you know, Emeros, what I was just thinking about is, you know, how we do the tapping exercise and we we talk to it where it basically we have this exercise in some of our programs that we do where people get this felt sense of what it means to have the curse of knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. As a leader, and, and especially Emma Rose, you know, um, what you were just talking about is in many organizations, as as leaders grow and develop and broaden their responsibility and their teams broaden, yes, they they may very likely have done the work that their teams are now doing. And, right. We coach a lot of leaders that are in that situation. As a matter of fact, I just yesterday, one of the um somebody that I'm coaching has taken on a new role. And he said to me, one of my biggest challenges right now is making sure that I don't tell them what to do because I've done their job for so long. But mm -hmm. how do I, and he said to me, I'm working on, for him, he's working on letting go and enabling them to take on more responsibility. And then he's working on their development. And what we worked on yesterday is helping him see that tight connection between him letting go 
and then by him letting go, enabling them to develop. And he said to me, well, when they come to me with a problem, I know how to get that done. So how do I say to them authentically, Krista, how do I say to them authentically that I want them to figure it out? He just he said, that just feels uncomfortable to me to say, you figure it out uh, because I know how to do it. And I said to him, well, what about if you share with them and be transparent? I'm working on letting go. And I want to enable you the opportunity to figure things out. So how might we do that together? Right? Because he felt like he had to have a way to ask the development question in a way that, and I said, hey, guess what? It's all about having a conversation. So actually, what about being transparent about what you're working on? And you know that they're working on wanting to solve their own problems. So how can the two of you develop in that together? And he just let out the sigh of relief, like, oh, oh, I can actually just raise that with them in, an, in a conversation. <laughs> yes, you can. And there's no right or wrong in this. I think, I mean, to a certain degree, I, I do think that the wrong, although that's a strong word, the wrong could be not caring about what, you know, not caring about the growth and development of another person, but really there's not a right or wrong in terms of how you approach these kinds of conversations. So I, I do think that's very, what we're talking about is a very real challenge, um, MROs, in terms of the going to the the sponsorship uh, role in somebody else's development. And and it does take confidence. It takes practice. It take and you know one of the things that I have a really strong belief in is that you know development happens at the edge of discomfort, but not too much discomfort. In other words, if you're so out of your realm of of comfort that you it causes you to freeze, then it can actually cause more trauma than development. Right. But it's that whole I'm on the edge of discomfort and great. So I'm developing. And so I think it's important to have that mindset that being on. the And so leaders that are on the edge of discomfort in terms of developing their team, that's right where they that's right where they need to be. Right. In terms of their own development. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But knowing that band of what's what's valuable and not going to just. Well, I think it, it pushes yeah. you into that deficit mindset that's really de-energizing and disempowering if you try and like go beyond what yeah. is reasonable for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Emma Rose, something else, what you just said sparked for me something I was spending some time reflecting on before this call also. And that when you said that deficit mindset, you know, I think it's so important for especially in today's work environment in the the this high pressure you know that we we hear all the time that there's just not this spaciousness uh and that people all the leaders that we're working I know all the leaders I'm working with today it's like they're craving a little think time a little spaciousness um but what I was going to say is that finding the space to both recognize the strengths of your people and catch them doing things right can is so useful in terms of supporting development. In other words, just making sure that we're taking a moment to pause and recognize what's going well, as opposed to always focusing on the problems, right? It's super easy. I think it's easier to at times to point out the problems, to point out what's not working well. And I think culturally, we at times focus really heavily on the gaps in 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 ourselves and in individuals and what we need to grow and what we need to develop. But if we're focusing on the strengths in people in their development or, or that helps their development, but catching, pausing and reflecting and catching those moments and catching them doing things well. Mm -hmm. is part of their development. In other words, it's they're reinforcing what they're doing well and what you want them to continue to, to do or noticing, hey, I know you're working on your uh, whatever it is they're working on. I notice you're working on showing up with confidence with that particular group. And you came across with more confidence this time. Great job. How did that feel to you? You know, catching them doing that. Well, it's no different than really this like a, a parent, uh, one of the most valuable parenting 
uh, pieces of advice I got when my girls were little was catch catch them doing something right. You know, don't we're constantly correcting them when they're little, but catch them catch them doing something right. So I think that applies to adults as well. So I don't know if that sparks anything for you too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I reminds me of um, two things. One is there is research out there and I don't know where to point to right now, but there is research out there that the um, you know positive reinforcement is actually much, much more effective in terms of having people uh, maintain a new behavior or a new habit going forward, right? That, excuse me, you can, um, you can correct a behavior, quote unquote, with negative reinforcement, but it will only last so long and it will only get you to a compliance level, right? And so with positive reinforcement and having the person actually see themselves in growing in this new action, see themselves in it, um, it is much more likely to take root and to be long lasting. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. The other thing that comes to mind is I'll just share an exercise that um, I've done with a couple of the leaders that I'm that I work with who are who have taken on bigger responsibilities in the organization and who are leading larger teams. Um, the one of the common things that I hear in people with people I work with all the time across every sector is there's just no time. There's no time. I'm too busy. I can't take this on. Development takes too much time. I can barely get through my to-do list, et cetera, et cetera. It's the, what our friend Jim Matroni would call the tyranny of the urgent, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I worked with uh, one one leader who was really in a critical spot with his team. And what we did together was I had him rather than think about the things that needed to get done, we literally sat down and I had him write down, okay, what are, who are each of the members of your on your management team? Who are who are those folks? So by name by name, he would tell me the person's name, what you count on that person for. From a technical standpoint, you know, a skilled capability standpoint, and then what you count on that person for from a personality or from a being standpoint, what can you count on that person for? What does that person bring reliably to any situation? And so at the end of this exercise, I think we had 15 people on his team. It took a while, but what we got to was sort of this matrix that he could go back to and say, oh, for these kinds of issues, I know here are the technical capabilities of these people and here are the other people that I can, or here's what I see in them that I can look for in moments of things not going well or when we're under pressure. You can actually articulate, hey, so-and-so, I I know I can rely on you for being the person to bring X, Y, and Z to this situation. We really need you in here right now or dot, 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 finish the sentence. So it turned out for him to be a very powerful exercise that actually uh, unintentionally, we didn't do this on purpose, but it actually wound up being the basis for the development plans he was going into next. It was just sort of time. It just sort of happened. I could. Yeah, I, that's so powerful, Carolyn. Thank you for sharing that because I'm I'm going to borrow that exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, what was happening for me as you were saying that is I'm I would imagine it might have revealed how uh, the value there might have been to partner certain people together to help them develop, right? Because we mm-hmm. development I, I think is so important for us to think about it from a community perspective. Right. So I think leaders often think about it as sort of that one to one like leader employee relationship and how am I helping them develop? Well, how how exciting and interesting it might be to have a group conversation about uh, what each of us are developing. But I would imagine that exercise helps that leader figure out, wow, who might I partner together to help them develop one another in in different aspects? That sounds really, really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I think it's been sort of a thread throughout this conversation, but um, another really important part is you don't have to do it alone. And I think actually under the best circumstances, you're doing it with others, whether that's P 
peers or it is you're leaning into this um leader direct report relationship in some way um but sharing okay well this is what i'm working on what are you working on and i had a coaching client last year who was also struggling with this jump from reliability to sponsorship and somebody who's super technically capable one of those big picture thinkers that i do think is fairly unique so the organization comes to rely on those people um pretty potently i think mm-hmm. um for them being able to see how different things come together and so then you're this crux point that a lot of things are coming into you different requests or questions or clarifications and i think that trains people to think that they're all alone and oh well nobody else can contribute this so it was really challenging for her to start trying to think about being more of a sponsor and make space for her team and sort of take that step of faith honestly that they will grow into that space in some valuable way um but one of the things that she started doing was having in their monthly team meetings they make space for what are you working on from a development standpoint this month and so then they're sharing that like and then you know sort of using what we would call an adjust moment within those about well, this is what I was working on last month and this is how that went. And that is informing that I want to work on this this month or it might have changed a little bit or shifted in some way. And so then it's it's what I was thinking, Krista, when you were talking about like HR processes and procedure that they have a purpose um, and we wouldn't want to lose those because they are the scaffolding that does help. But mm-hmm. it's that it brings to mind that quote that um, any means is but a blunt instrument if it has not a living spirit mm-hmm. like what is the spirit especially growth and development contributing to somebody's growth as a human being i'm sorry you cannot do that with a lack of spirit or care it's just or it, oh if you do then it's inauthentic and i don't think it's very powerful and i think people feel that um so what's the spirit you're breathing into those processes or check boxes or you know benchmarks And what might that inspire you to do to care for that in your own way as a leader along the way between those benchmarks? So for her, it was, okay, let's build that into our monthly conversation. So then it's not this thing that happens every six months and blindsides both me as the leader and all these people, you know, like, oh, well, actually I haven't been thinking about it or people show up in pretense to that conversation and pull stuff out of somewhere about (laughs) oh well you know I've been thinking about this and I've been working on that and I think I could do this and there's so much like you said at the top I think um Carolyn it's such a missed opportunity you know and that those are routine team conversations you're having every month and you know it doesn't take that long to say declaratively hey I'm working on this this is why that matters to me this is how that connects to our work as a team talk to me later if you are also doing that. But even just saying it to somebody else, I think gives you a little bit of that accountability pressure in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And then also if it is connected to what you're working on as a team or connected to the strategy or the organization or connected to organizational goals, it carries a different purpose too. So it feels like, okay, yeah, I'm working on this for myself, but I'm also doing it for the sake of X that we're all in together. And I think that's really motivating in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that was on my mind is, um, you know, Kel is also reliable for talking about this, but that as kids, we're just so naturally inclined to growth and learning that we stumble through it. Like if you imagine a kid learning how to walk, it's not that, you know, just because they're really competent, they walked the first try, you know, you stumble your way through it. Um, but as adults, especially when we've been in, we get comfortable to use the reverse of the word you were saying, Krista, we get really comfortable in our routines and get comfortable in how we contribute and get comfortable in the ways that we're interacting with other people and all of that. And so I think adulthood learned like deciding to grow and develop as an adult has a different challenge to it and it does take a lot of intentionality and I think that leaning on others is super super helpful for that yeah I think yeah adulting is hard that's that's (laughs) what my 22 year old said mom this adulting stuff is hard 
<laughs> but it's true. It's like as we, I think, especially as as humans in 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 a work setting and in a leadership role, as you grow into broader and broader responsibilities, one, I think you you do develop habits. We all develop habits over time, of course. You develop habits in your in the way you lead, uh, and you develop blind spots. And I think we get to a point, leaders can get to a point in their career where they think it's not okay to ask for help, or it's not okay to say they don't have the answer. Uh, and I offer the the reverse is true, uh, that I think if you ask for help, or you share what you're developing, that's when you can unleash things. I'm working with this, um, one of my clients right now is a, a new CEO, and I'm just so incredibly inspired by her because she took over the role uh, from a, a CEO that had a complete opposite style from her. And as she's moving into this new role, she's felt uncertain at times about, you know, gee, should I be showing up like the past CEO did? Um, I'm much more collaborative. Um, I just have all these, you know, I really care about my people and I'm taking a little bit more time to make decisions than the past CEO did. And maybe I'm not showing up like a CEO. But once she really started to discover that for her, her development was just finding out, figuring out who she is in that role, that when she shows up as herself, authentically, that is actually when she is being the best leader she can be. So I think it doesn't matter if you're starting out in your career, doesn't matter if you're starting out as a new leader or you're at a CEO level, there is learning to be had and just being really, really intentional. I think what sparked me to say this, Emma Rose, is you said something about intentionality and just being intentional about how you need to show up in your circumstance. And owning that uh, and just sort of being real about it and recognizing that there is always room to grow and ask for help when you need it, uh, I think to me is at the core, it's at the heart of, of developing as a human. And we are, we're complex creatures, <laughs> us human beings. <laughs> so I don't no. know if that sparked anything for you, for you too. You know, what it brings up for me is that I've had a number of um, clients in leadership positions who work inside organizations that are, uh, how would I say it? Uh, well, they they are sort of male dominant, very, um, uh, very, maybe you need to edit this out, but manly man kind of a uh -huh. uh, manly man kind of environments where them hearing this conversation they'd be like oh my god what are we doing can we just get back to work right and the um the reason i bring this up is that what you said krista of there is always an opportunity in any situation to develop ourselves and to to develop others um, one of the things I work with, with these gentlemen that I'm working with is, um, how can you be appropriate to the moment? So appropriate to the context that you're in using language that actually resonates for you, but also that is people can hear in the environment that you're in. We all mm -hmm. speak a different language and each organization has a slightly different culture, different, um, norms, different ways of being. How do you actually learn the language that can help break open something new in an environment that may not uh, be really ready for that conversation? How do you actually take um, take a risk that feels reasonable to you to be on, as you were saying, Krista, earlier, on the edge of discomfort for yourself as a leader that might then open a conversation that will continue when you're not around. Oh, Slightly different than you've done before. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I like that because it, you know, it speaks to the whole like narrowing in on something that you can just pay attention to in the conversations you're in all the time. It does not take extra time. It takes a different 
relationship to the moment, which mm-hmm. everybody's capable of. Yeah. Um, I feel like MRO's thematic in our conversation is we're talking, we've talked a lot about mindset, right? Mm-hmm. The development isn't a thing over here that you hold on the side. It is something that happens ongoingly and having a mindset and paying attention, right? Paying attention right. to what we're growing and developing. Yeah, That's really it's what like, I'm taking from our conversation. I've learned so much in the time <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah, it's like putting on different glasses or something. It's like, these are my development glasses and I'm going to wear them and notice opportunities for this thing, X thing, you know, like just that's the lens through which I'm going to see the world and my work for a while. And then what did I learn from that? And so anyway, that would be a great that takeaway for anybody else. Um, this conversation flew by and we may end up having to do a part two sometime y'all, because I feel like we could talk about this for forever and it's so relevant to everybody. You know, I know this is a topic that is just, it resonates with anyone in any sort of organizational role that is, has hopes and dreams for being better in the future. So, um, if you did like this one, let us know, and maybe we will do another, we usually close with something that we learned, but I have an idea. What if we closed with you guys and I'll participate, but sharing what you're working on right now in your development? Oh, man. You feel comfortable. How about, we don't have much time. That's okay. <laughs> I have a long list. Just one thing. Just one, just one <laughs> little tidbit. Well, Essential. I'll say that I am, this is a forever journey for me, but I... In my role as a coach, of course, listening, I get super curious about people and I and sort of what makes them tick and helping them. And so I think that's why I love my work. But I also, I get really into their story. And so for me, I'm always working as a coach to re- stay removed enough from their story and be objective enough that I can hold up the mirror and not passive, like not make a snap judgment in my mind about what I think they ought to do. Because it's for them to find the answer about what's right for them. So I'm constantly working on how do I just stay present to not not passing a judgment about what I think they ought to do. Because it's really for them. So I'm always working on not, it's not for me to decide. It's for them to decide. I'm always, I'm always really holding that. So it's really present because mm-hmm. I've had to do that in a few coaching calls this week. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Beautiful. Um. I'm working on essentiality, and what I mean by that is bringing everything of myself and my experience and my capabilities and my heart to the work that I'm in, but not burning myself up as I do that. And you said that very essentially. Oh, good. I got extra points. <laughs> Gold stars. I love that. Gold star. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on a principle that Carolyn, I actually remember three years ago talking about that this was something else I was working on at the time, like almost three years ago with you. Um, but we have this principle about do everything it takes and nothing more and then do less. And that is a lifelong pursuit, but Mm -hmm. I'm really, I really am trying to do that. And that services the whole sponsorship thing. It services my, the conservation of my energy and what makes me so more valuable in it helps me lean into the places that I am uniquely contributive and needed. Um, oh, but it's so dang hard. <laughs> but that's what I'm working on. <laughs> Human thing is hard. That's inspiring, yeah. Emrose. Thank you. And thanks oh, for the question. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, thanks for going along with it. And thanks for coming today. And thanks, y'all, for listening. Um, we wish you happy growing and developing and learning in your own lives. And uh, if you need any help or any questions, you just reach out. But until next time, uh, we'll be here. I don't, what, I need to work on my closing. (laughs) It reminds me of, what's that movie where he's like, uh, I'll, 
I'll catch you later or I'll see you at another time or something. <laughs> That's our new clothes. Catch you later or see you at another time. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we'll uh, see you later or we'll see you at another time. <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.